0: have everything. I want you to go with me to Ephesians chapter number one. If you have your Bibles here with you this morning, uh, just page over to Ephesians chapter number one. I'm going to be reading from verse three, uh, or if you have a smart device, you can just scroll over there right now. Ephesians chapter number one and verse three. I'm going to read through to verse ten. Paul writing here says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. I, I love the language there. He, he, he took this grace, and He didn't just give us a little bit of it. He didn't just say, hey, here's your portion, but He lavished it upon us. He gave us more than what we need. Wherever our sin abounded, He says He has more grace than you could possibly need. He lavished this, this grace upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, again, the purpose in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. A lot of in Christ, in him, through him, uh, in that passage, it shows us uh, just what we have in Jesus Last week, we spoke about identity, and we spoke about how we will always be running after things as long as we don't have it settled in our hearts, as long as the foundation of our lives is not this identity that we have in Christ. And here it is showing us that in Christ, we have redemption. In Christ, we have an inheritance. In Christ, we have all things. Matthew 4, verse 8 to 10 says, again, the devil took him. It's talking about Jesus here. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, all these I will give to you. This is the devil speaking to Jesus. He's, he takes Jesus up onto a high mountain. and he says, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, "Begone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The Bible tells us that Satan left him and angels came and strengthened Jesus in that moment. I want to speak a little bit this morning about what we have in Christ. And I'm going to be looking mainly at Ephesians 1, what we have in Christ and how this changes the way we live our lives. So let's just go ahead and pray this morning. And uh, we're going to take a look at this passage of Scripture. Jesus, we just know that you're present this morning. And we thank you that in you we have all that we need, that you have given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness, Father. We thank you that we are not in lack this morning. We are not poor this morning spiritually, Jesus. We are not, you haven't withheld any good thing from us, but we are your children. We know our Father, we know your love. And we thank you this morning that you speak to us, you strengthen our faith, you encourage our hearts, You open your word to us. You enlighten our hearts, God, that we can grasp the hope and the inheritance and the power that is available to us in Christ. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. It really seems like no matter how much we have in life, um, we always want more. Right. Have, you, have you ever noticed that in your own life, that if you are planning for something, you're saving up for something, there's something specific that you really want to own, that you really want to buy, maybe it's a, a bigger house or a better car or uh, something for one of your hobbies, and, uh, and you're so desperate for that thing that you start putting your money aside. Is that an actual duck? <laughs> Things you never thought you would say while preaching. Hashtag actual duck. Uh, all right, so <laughs> certain things that you, uh, that you save for that you really wish you could have. And, and I remember doing this. I've done this with several things in my life where I have wanted to, uh, for example, once I started mountain biking. And so what happens is is that in the beginning, you're okay with an entry-level mountain bike. And you take a look at the mountain bike and you read up all the specs. And then the more research you do, the more you find out about the components and, uh, and the different things that, that you can add to that bike and the suspension and whether it's an air suspension or a, or, or a spring suspension. And you, and you kind of, you know, you went from I'm just going to spend a little bit of money to now I'm actually, the money just increases increases. And I remember one time saving up so much money so that I can go and buy this mountain bike. And the moment I had bought it and I spent so much on this bike, I immediately noticed that there was a model that was just like one better than that. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. you. You love this car. You've got to have this car. You buy it and then you're like, but that car is amazing. And I've seen that this starts early. I've seen this when I take my son uh, to go shopping. Um, you know, Whether it's sweets or a toy, it's one of the, the hardest things. It's actually a little bit of an unfair position that you put a three-year-old in or a four-year-old in when you say to him, come and pick a toy in the store because he'll look around and pick one thing and, uh, and, and, and think, this is the one that I want. And then as he's walking to the till, he sees something else, and he goes no wait i 'm going to put that one down, and i 'm going to pick this one up and As he walks further, he, he looks at something else and he goes, "Wait, not this one now it 's this one and, and and so as he goes along, even if you're, even if it 's just a suite that you 're pushing the trolley through you know the the, the ten kilometers of sweets you 've temptation you 've got to get through in order to pay your bill." Um, you know, you walk through there and you pick a suite and then you see something better and you pick another sweet, and then, and then you realize you're holding up the whole line because you're kind of going back for that other suite and, and, uh, and, and this is how we are as people. We actually find it genuinely difficult to be content with our lives. Genuinely difficult to be content with, uh, with what we have. We're always looking for that next level. What's the next thing that we can have? We have this emptiness in us often that wants to be fulfilled. So in Matthew chapter number 4, we see something incredible in the life of Jesus. And and, and I want to tie this up to Ephesians 1 and and show you how these two relate to each other. Because in Matthew chapter number 4, Jesus, uh, at the age of 30, is now going out, and, and the first thing that God does, he hasn't, his ministry hasn't started yet. He hasn't started performing any miracles. He hasn't been preaching all over. Um, and, and, and he goes, and he gets baptized. And after this baptism, while he's getting baptized, uh, he comes up out of the water, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. So he receives the, the Spirit of God in that moment. That's the fellowship of God. You know, the Bible talks about us. We read it there in Ephesians, how we've been united with Him. That God's Spirit comes and lives on the inside of us, and our spirit is united with God's Spirit. That's how we have fellowship. That's how we abide. That's how we know God, is because His Spirit dwells within us. So Jesus, in this moment, receives this Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit. And after having received this he hears the voice of God. He's been united with God and he hears God's voice. Everybody there hears God's voice. And from heaven, the voice of God thunders and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Can there be any any better words for for a son to hear than those words from, from, from his father? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And directly after that, Jesus goes out into the wilderness. He goes out into the desert. And the devil immediately begins to try and usurp this this unity that he has with God. You see, this is what the devil does in our lives. Because what the gospel declares is that God is pleased with us because of Christ. And that we have been united with Christ through our faith. We've been united with God through our faith in Christ Jesus. And what the devil immediately comes is he says, do you have enough? Is that enough for you? He takes Jesus, the devil takes Jesus up onto this mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, lays it out in front of him. And he says, I can give you this. I can give you this. All of this can be yours. You don't have enough. Let me give you more. Let, 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 me, let me offer you more in your life. This is the temptation that comes to us all on a daily basis through the system of this world, through, through what the devil tempts us with. He comes to you and he whispers in your ear, in, in your heart, in your mind. He says, do you really have enough? Do you really know who you are? Are you really fulfilled? Do people really love you? Shouldn't you, uh, don't you want to be more popular? Don't you want to achieve a little bit more? What, what, who would you be if you don't have this in your life? And, and whatever that is for us, we, we've really got to identify who, who are we if we don't have this thing in our lives? Maybe it's your career, Maybe you really find a lot of your identity in what you do. Maybe, maybe it's your bank account. Maybe you, you find a lot of identity in, in, in what you earn. Maybe it's, it's the people you hang out with and you find a lot of identity with those people. And the question is, is that if that was taken away from your life, would you still know who you were? And I've been through many moments like this in my life where certain things have been taken away. And I think to myself, who am I if I'm not that person? And it betrays the fact that I am hidden with Christ in God. It betrays the fact that, that I sometimes find my identity in other things. We all do. And that's exactly where the battle lies. We know what God has declared over us, but the devil comes and he goes, do you have enough? Do you, who would you be if I took this away? And what he does is he promises us more. He says, Take a look at everything that I can give you. I can make you more popular. I can help you achieve more. Causes us to doubt our significance and our worth. And the devil is so kind of um, confident in this plan that he actually tried it with Jesus himself. I mean, if, if you had to compare your own life to Jesus, Jesus has come from the Father. He's intimately acquainted with the Father. But yet, even there, the devil goes, I know that the Father said he was pleased with you, and I know you've, you've received his spirit, but don't you want all of this? Don't you think that all of this would make you feel better about yourself? And oftentimes, through those kinds of suggestions, the devil can really create a kind of hole on the inside of us that says, I need more. I need this to be happy. I need this to be fulfilled. I need that amount in order to be satisfied. But what we find is, is that the more we search after those things, the more we run after those things, the more the whole grows. Jesus didn't submit to the temptation that Satan put before him because he understood something so fundamental Something so critical that I'm hoping all of us can grow in and and our understanding and our our acceptance of this can can grow in exponentially over the, the, the weeks and months that lie ahead. And it's understanding this thing that God said to Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God wants us to know that. He wants us to understand that we are well pleasing to him because of his son. I tell my boy, Eli, I tell him that I love him a lot. And so I kind of in, invent new ways of telling him. I tell all my boys, the other two just can't talk yet, but I'll, I'll have better conversations with them soon. Uh, but, with, but with Eli, he, he can converse. And, and so I, I'd say to him often, I say, Eli, guess what? And he says, what, Dad? And by this point, he kind of knows what's coming already. And I say, I love you so much. And he goes, and, and this week he said to me, I know, Dad, you tell me every day you tell me every single day. And I said, but I'm going to keep telling you every single day. And he said, why? I said, so that you never forget that I love you so much. And if I think about Eli, uh, he trusts me unconditionally. When he's standing on the kitchen counter, he'll often get up and then he wants me to catch him. And and I've got to back away further and further and further because he wants to see how far he can jump, but not for one moment does he ever think that I won't catch him. And there's, there's a critical connection here between how much we know that God loves us and how much we trust him. That's faith, faith is trust. The level of faith that you walk in in your life is critically connected to how much you truly believe that God loves you, that God loves you. If you doubt the love of God for you you as an individual, if you doubt it, you'll struggle to trust. You'll struggle to walk in faith. You'll struggle to walk in victory. And the temptation of, I can give you all of this, will just grow in your mind and your heart. Because the devil will tell you, I don't know if God really loves you. Maybe you need some of this to be fulfilled. Maybe you need some of this to draw your significance from, to draw your worth, to draw your identity from. But this is why Jesus did not bow to the temptation. I can just imagine Jesus standing on top of that mountain, looking out of, of, at all of these kingdoms that, that are laid before him. And, and the Bible says that, that Satan showed Jesus the glory of these kingdoms. And I can just imagine this impressive scene just with the, with the spread the sprawl of, of cities and kingdoms and Jesus looking out over all of those things and the devil going, I can give you this glory. I can give you this. I can, you can have this. It can be yours. And I can almost imagine that as the devil is talking, I don't know if, if Satan was there physically or if it was just in a spiritual uh, temptation, but, but, but I can almost see, let's say, Jesus, uh, let's say Satan was there uh, physically with Jesus. And as he was talking, I can almost see Jesus like zoning out. You know, husbands, the way you do sometimes when your wife's talking to you, just zoning out and, and, and you can see the person's there. You can see that their lips are moving. They can see that they're talking to you, but in your mind, you've gone to another place. And I can imagine Jesus seeing Satan's lips moving, but in his mind, the voice of God, his father is booming, saying, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. The devil's talking. Jesus is just hearing, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And it's almost like, the devil kind of goes, hey, so what do you say? What do you, what do you think? And Jesus kind of like, sorry, what I, I actually, I zoned out there. I'm not sure what you were saying. I'm not sure what this temptation, but I don't, I don't need any of this. I don't need any of these things because I know what I have. I know the love of my father. I know who I am in him. The father loves me. This is what Jesus' identity was based upon. He knew that he already had everything. Through the Father, he already had everything, and he knew that the Father was pleased with him. And so he trusted the Father. Even in the difficult moments, we sometimes think about Jesus, and we think that he never had moments where it was hard for him to trust, or where there was a temptation to, to not trust. But if you look at the scene just before Jesus went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went down on his knees, and here is the Son of God begging God for an alternative plan. (laughs) He knows the will of the Father. He knows what God is calling him to do, but yet he is on his knees, sweating blood, crying out to God, going, Father, if there is any other way, then please let this cup pass from me, which is a very nice way of saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Have you, ever, have you ever said that to God? God, I know what you're calling me to, but I, I don't want to do this. It's too much to bear. It's too hard for me. I, it's, it's too difficult. But because Jesus was so convinced of the love that the Father had for him, he trusted him. And so Jesus ends that prayer by saying, but not, not my will but yours be done. You see, a lot of people think that in order to live the kind of life that God calls us to live, in order to be holy and blameless and, and do the right things, that what we need to do is, as preachers and as churches is tell them how to live correctly. Now, there is a place for training and for guidance and for wisdom and all of that, but the fundamental thing is not the principle of good living. The fundamental thing is people need to know that God loves them. Because if they don't trust that, if they don't, if they don't believe fundamentally in the love that God has for us, then they won't find the faith to walk in this new kind of life. You see, when you know the love of the Father, it doesn't matter what situations you face. It doesn't matter how difficult the circumstances are. It doesn't matter uh, how, how broken the moment seems because you go, but I trust God. I just trust God. I can't even tell you how he's gonna figure this whole thing out. It seems clueless to me. I don't understand any part of the situation, but I know one thing. I know that God is good, and I know that he loves me. And that's what God wants us to understand. The love that he has for us. The love that he has for us. It's so important for us to know That God loves us, the Bible says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. If you want to know what real love is, the love of God isn't dependent on how well you love Him. And for such a long time, I struggled to walk my walk of faith because I thought that God's love for me was dependent upon how much love I had for Him. But it's actually not like that. The Bible says that He loves us, and that's what inspires us to respond to Him in love. The Bible says that when we were still rebels, when we were still sinners, God forgave us. And it's that forgiveness, those who have forgiven much, love much. It's that forgiveness that spurs us on and drives us forward to be holy and blameless people who love to please God and walk in righteousness. You need to know this morning that you are loved and you need to know this morning that you are forgiven. It is so critical for us to know that. You need to know that condemnation has been removed from your life because condemnation will make you hide from God. If you feel condemned, if you feel ashamed, if you feel like God's love won't be able to cover your sin, and, and, and what Jesus did through the cross, then what you will do is hide. And we see this right from the very first sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says before that moment, they would walk with God in the cool of the afternoon through the garden. Just imagine that, that's, that's incredible. Walking with God in the cool of the afternoon, having a chat about how your day was. That's, that's the connection that Adam and Eve had with God. And after they sinned, the Bible says they hid themselves. They hid themselves. Condemnation will make you hide yourself from God. You won't be open to His voice. You won't be open to His leading. But when you understand that in Christ, our condemnation has been removed because your sins have been forgiven through, the, through what Jesus did on the cross, there's a boldness. It says, God, I'm here. I'm, I'm not perfect and I, and I mess up. And even when I mess up, I can come to you and I can be honest. My boy has done this because he knows. He, if you ask him, you can, I, I challenge any of you, you can go and ask him. If you ask him, if, if, he's, if, if you say to Eli, does your dad love you? He'll say, yes, even when I'm naughty. Because that's something that we tell him is that, boy, even when you are naughty, we're not happy about the fact that you are naughty, but we still love you. And it won't change that. And so you know what that created in Eli? An honesty. I asked him yesterday that his brother was crying. I walked into the room. I said, what happened? And he said, I don't know. He's just crying. And I said, boy, what happened? And he said, okay, I hit him. (laughs) And he's very quick. He's like, but you still love me, hey. You still love me. (laughs) So he can be honest because he knows it won't change the way I feel about him. And with God, we can be honest about our sin. We don't have to hide in the shadows anymore because we know that it won't change the love that God has for us. When God looks at us, he does not see our sinfulness. Now, he sees it. He knows it's there, but he doesn't, he doesn't equate our value and our relationship is not based on how much sinfulness is present. Because when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. Jesus. He sees the perfection of Jesus. The Bible says that when we were baptized into Christ, it says those who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, one translation says, like the putting on of new clothes. Put on Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus, what happened is is that you put on his righteousness. Your old sinful self was put away and you have put on a new garment, a new righteousness, and when God looks at us, he sees the perfection of what his his son did on the cross. Does that make sense to you this morning? When he looks at you, he sees Jesus, and so when he looks at you, he declares the same thing that he declared over Jesus, which is, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. In that uh, verse we read in the beginning, those verses in, in Ephesians chapter number one from verse seven... It says, in Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. We've been redeemed. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose. God did it for a purpose which He set forth in Christ. Our purpose comes alive in Christ. We are hidden with Christ in God as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so the scripture talks about how we have been united with God through the redemption that we have received in Jesus. There's nothing separating you from God anymore. There's no barrier to cross anymore. You are in Christ and he is in you. We've been united. We've been reconciled. The Bible says uh, later on in Ephesians, those who stood afar off have been brought near. You've been brought close to God. And so God looks at us and says, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Galatians 3, verse 26 to 29 says, For in Christ, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. In other words, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what, uh, what your, 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 your gender is. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter what your bank account looks like. It doesn't matter. In Christ, all of us are accepted. We've all become children of God. God doesn't pick His children based on socioeconomic circumstances or, or how well you can achieve or how well you do things. All of us have become one in Christ, and, he, and we are all children of God. And it says, And if you are Christ's, if you belong to Jesus, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You have become a, a co-heir, the Bible says, with Christ. We are heirs according to the promise. There is an inheritance. We are children of God. So, this is what Paul is trying to tell the church in Ephesus that you're no longer an outsider, you're no longer standing afar off trying to claw your way into God's good graces. Now you have been adopted as a child and as a child of God with an inheritance, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You have everything in Christ. We are not beggars of this world. We are not people walking around looking for handouts from God because the Bible says he has already in Christ given us all things. We are not poor. Jesus came to proclaim the good news to the poor, which to a poor person, good news is is that you no longer have to be poor. And he was talking about the, pov- the poverty of mankind, the poverty of, of, of the lives that we live without Christ. And he says, "You're no longer those beggars, because in me you have all things. It's been given to you. It's yours. You're loved, you're forgiven. You're blessed, you're called, you're righteous, you have a father who won't abandon you. Why would you want the kingdoms of this world? They pale in comparison to what we have been given in Christ. And all of this stuff is in Jesus. It says over and over again, it says we are blessed in Christ, that he chose us in him, that we've been adopted through Jesus, that in him we have redemption. There's all these in hims through Christ, it's by Christ, it it's all comes through Jesus. I want to find out, does anybody have a set of keys here this morning? Anybody with, with like a bunch of keys? Uh, you know, you have two kinds of people. You have the single key kind of people. I'm a single key kind of guy. One thing, maybe a key ring, maybe a key ring. But does anybody here have like a bunch of keys? Because then you have the other kinds of people. These kinds of people, all right? Hey, there's more than keys on here. Drums, guitars, can have a whole little band here. But you know, for a lot of people, how they view Christianity is that it's about going through the Bible in order to find the right key for the situation. So you need healing in your life so you go okay okay wait let me let me go through the keys and let me see if I can in the scriptures uh, find the right key for my healing, and then they go, okay, wait, I think it's this key, and they try it, and they go, well, I'm not really getting healed, so maybe that was the wrong key, and so they go through the next one, and they go, maybe it's this key, maybe this is the key, this is the scripture, this is the formula that will unlock my healing, and, and, and they go through the keys for every situation in life, uh, treating the Bible almost like a, a book of formulas that you will draw your, your, your correct uh, key for, uh, to go through that specific door, but what I found out is that this is not how the gospel works. This is not how the Bible works. It's not a 100 different keys to a 100 different doors to get 100 different blessings. That's not what we're doing here. What the Bible is very clear about, can I swap this for, for, your, for your key? What the Bible is very clear about is that there is only one key. There is only one door to every spiritual blessing. And his name is Jesus. We put our faith in one key, not in little formulas and and, and little tips and tricks that we can do to to try and, and, and get from the Bible what we feel we want in our lives. No, one key, and in Christ, we have all things. So that's where our faith is. Our faith is in Christ. Our faith is in what He did for us on the cross. Our faith is in the gospel of Jesus. He speaks right to our hearts. We spoke about that last week. Jesus pushes past the peripheral and he goes right to your heart and he speaks fulfillment to your heart. He's not trying to pander around little details and little issues. He wants to get to the foundation of your life. And a lot of people walk around because they don't know that God is pleased with them. They don't know that there is no more condemnation. They don't know the love of God. They walk around with a big hole on the inside of them. And the devil offers up one thing after another that we think will fill that hole, but actually produces a bigger hole. It actually only uh, causes more brokenness and hopelessness and despair. I I, I described it to somebody like this. It's like walking up to a, a big, deep well. And taking out a coin and throwing it down the well, hoping that it will fill the well. That coin is not going to fill the well. It's going to lie somewhere at the bottom. And if that is the way that you are going to try and fill the void in your life, guess what? It's going to cost you a lot, and it's never going to truly fill you. It's only going to cost you. And so the Bible is declaring... Over us. Paul here is writing to a young church in Ephesus and he is saying, I want you to know that you are not running around looking for things. You already have everything in Christ. It's already yours, it was already secured for you on the cross. And so he carries on in Ephesians 1 and and I just want to read these next few verses from 15 to 23 to show you what Paul declares. If you have your Bibles, you can go with me to Ephesians 1.15. He says, for this reason, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul says, I, I'm thinking about you, church. I've heard about your faith. I've heard that you believe in Jesus. So I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. So what is it, Paul? What are you praying for the church for? What do you hope that the church will will really come to know and understand? He goes, I'm remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Enlightened. having the eyes of your heart enlightened. He says, I'm praying. Essentially, if I can sum that up, that you would get this, that you would see this saying that God gives you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him means I am praying that your eyes would be opened up so that you can get what you have in Jesus, that you can, you, it's like, it's like when you see something amazing and you run inside, maybe it's like a big storm cloud or it's a sunset and you run inside and you go, you've got to see this. You've got to come and see this. That's essentially what Paul is saying. Hey, you've got to come and see this. This is incredible. This is amazing. What, What we have in Christ, hey guys, don't, don't, don't be blind to this. You've got to see this. You've got to see what we have. That you may know, not think about, consider, but know absolutely what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches? We have that scripture. Can we just uh, pop that up there? Just go to the next one. There we go. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. There's that inheritance again. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. I want you to know the hope. I want you to know the inheritance. I want you to know the power. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that, that is in the age to come. You see, what Paul is saying is that, that the things that we see with our eyes, the things that the devil showed to Jesus, these are temporal. They fade and they pass away. Anything that we can gain in this life, Jesus even speaks about it as the things that, that, that rust and moth destroy. They're fallible and they'll pass away. But the things that are eternal are unseen. In other words, these are not things that we can just figure out. God needs to open the eyes of our heart and cause us to see it. We need the Spirit to turn on the lights for us. I remember another time playing touch rugby in the dark in the garden and, uh, and then found a bench with my shin, uh, this little wooden bench. Who has benches in their garden still these days? And that was the end of the game because you can't operate without light. But what God does is that he comes in and he wants us to see. He doesn't want us to be running around in the dark wondering what this Christian thing is about, wondering what our lives are about. He wants us to see what we have. And so he prays for the church in Ephesus and he says, I'm praying that God will switch the lights on for you, that you could see this. What does he want us to know? When the light goes on, what will you see? You will see the hope that you've been called to. You will understand the hope that there is in Christ, the fullness that there is in the things that God has, has given us, the, the riches of the glorious inheritance that we have. And there's nothing more fulfilling than that. When I was younger, my dad used to travel overseas a lot. as a businessman and working for the city at one point, he, he would go overseas. And whenever he came home, uh, he would, uh, leave, we always knew when it was the day that my dad was coming home. And he would normally get home sometime while we were at school. And so the first thing we did when we got home is not even say hello to my dad. We ran past him straight to our bedrooms because he would always leave gifts on our beds for us, something that, that, that he left. And, and, uh, and there was often very cool things that my dad would bring back from us. I remember the first time he got me a Sony Walkman, like when they just came out. And I actually had those, those earphones with, with like the orange, you know, the orange, so it was amazing. A blue Sony Walkman with this orange thing and a tape by Kenny Rogers, my first music that I ever owned. And I was, I remember walking around the garden with this going, it is incredible because this music is with me wherever I go. It's just following me around. This is amazing. And so often we got these cool gifts from overseas, But the one time I ran into my room and my dad had left a Bible on my bed. And I was, to be honest, a little disappointed. I was hoping for maybe another Kenny Rogers tape and I got a Bible. But you know what, I read that Bible. And thinking back, it was the greatest thing that I could have been given. It was the greatest gift I could have received because it helped me to understand what I truly have which was far more than a a Walkman or a tape or a song by Kenny Rogers could give me. It helped me to understand who I am in Christ and what I have in Christ. And Paul's saying that he wants us to understand this incredible life that God has given us. He wants us, the Bible says, to taste and see that God is good. And then he says this, he says, I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. The immeasurable, it's, it's, you can't even measure how great God's power is towards you who believe. The Bible says the same power in that scripture that raised Jesus from the dead. Are you facing a situation right now that you're thinking to yourself, I cannot overcome this. This is too great for me. Maybe it's, you know, we, one of the areas that we struggle the most in is personal change. Will I ever be different? Will I ever be able to change? Will I ever get through this? Will I ever get over this? Paul goes, guys, 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 you've got to see this. You've got to understand that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in you. That's the hope, that we have everything of Christ within us. We have the power of God within us. If it could raise Jesus, it can save you. If it could raise Jesus, it can deliver you. If it could raise Jesus, it can heal you. If it can raise Jesus, it can transform you. Paul says, I want you to know the power. I want you to know the hope. I want you to know the inheritance. And he says that this power has been given to us, not by a God who's equal to other gods, not by a God who who just uh, kind of dwells on earth, hoping to be a good moral influence. No, this power and this authority and this hope and this inheritance comes from the the God who sits above every other God, the name who is above every other name, from the the one who rules, who has all the authority and all the, the sovereignty and all the power. That is the God who has promised that he loves us that he loves us, that he has an inheritance for us, that we are established, that we are rooted, that we are grounded in him. He is the fullness of all things and there is nothing that can stop his power. So when somebody comes along and says, you don't have enough, you don't have enough, you need more to be fulfilled, to make something of yourself, to to be significant, to have a sense of worth in this life. You need this. We can confidently answer, no, I don't. I don't need, sorry, I wasn't even listening while you were talking. Because I know who I am in Christ, and I know that He has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I know that I am the one, because of my faith in Christ Jesus, in whom God is well pleased. We're touching on some very deep identity issues. And for as long as we doubt that, we will always struggle to faithfully follow Jesus. But when we grasp this, when we see this, the Bible says in that scripture that we read in the beginning, that God chose us according to his will. He chose us to be holy and blameless before him. Not like he picked a bunch of people and said, okay, be holy, be blameless, I wanna see it. Let's see if you, you're the ones I chose, so please do it. No, he chose us to create that heart in us by showing us that we already have every spiritual blessing. We already know who we are in Christ. our, Our identity has been fundamentally changed. We know the love of the Father, and so we live different kind of lives. This week, I really want you to think about that. And if you didn't hear last week's message, I want to encourage you to go and download it from from SoundCloud and just listen to it because it just ties in. But I want you to know that when God looks at you because of Christ, He is pleased with you. And He has given you everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness. And He'll take care of us physically and spiritually because He is a Father who loves us and we can trust Him. Amen?